Hey everybody, uh, and welcome back to the Uncultured Cinematic Universe. Here we discuss your favorite movies of all time, as well as the ones that got away. We look at classic and iconic films from two perspectives, that of the diehard fan and that of the uncultured who's never seen it before. Until now. We're your hosts, Joe and Justin, here to act as your guides, playing part as both the fellow enthusiast and the ignorant and uncultured. Today we'll be drinking absinthe with the children of the revolution while trying not to die of tuberculosis. It's <laughs> 2001's Moulin Rouge. How does one try to not die from tuberculosis? I don't know. So I was thinking about this while watching the film this time around. Uh, obviously, this is the one that I've seen uh, several times. Yeah. Uh, you have never seen. I probably should have looked this up before this episode because this is a pretty key plot point. I don't know how tuberculosis works. Uh, yeah. Is it like viral? It's not an SED, right? No, it's it's something, you know, uh, it's like in the blood, in the Clearly lungs. Your it's lungs gunk, are, it's are gunk in the lungs. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's the lung blood coughs kind of thing. You have to have a white hanky and mm-hmm. you have to cough into it and you have to like slowly pull away and like, oh, the blood. It's, it's uh, very much the Chekhov's gun of like death in movies. Like if someone's coughing up blood into a white hanky, you can just count them out. <laughs> say, say your goodbyes now. Get yeah. right with your God. Yeah, uh, amazing. Um, but yeah, so this was this was a unique one. So this is uh, you so know, many like, things unique about this episode. So many things, right? So this is part of our musical themed month of March and this was Joe's movie and we would we did something a little bit different for this one didn't we Joe yeah so Justin so we 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 kind of tend to schedule these episodes ahead of time so we know like what what episodes are coming up what movies we need to watch and Justin pointed out that the Moulin Rouge was actually having a showing at the the Plaza Theater here in Atlanta uh this month of February. So we are in February right now. Can you believe it's like we're time traveling? Right. Yes. We're, we are coming to you in March, but here we are back in February. If you know some, when, where should we place our bets? Uh, or how does it work? Is it the other way around? Do we tell people when to place their bets on the Super Bowl game? The, the math is very confusing. Try to keep up listeners. Yeah, um, but I think there. it's like the Super Bowl game is tomorrow, right? I think so. It is Sunday, the 12th. So, I don't yeah. know playing. I don't either. I don't even give a shit, dude. Okay. But all I give a shit is shit about is this movie right now that we're talking about. So yeah, so we went to the actual movie theater to watch this uh, in person. This was put on by like a local Atlanta. Uh, put on by uh, Wussy Magazine. They yeah. do they do shows like this at the Plaza. Yeah, so they they do all kinds of things. I've I've been to several wussy events uh, at the plaza. I saw Purple Rain, mm-hmm. I saw Little Shop of Horrors there. I saw a couple things there, and and they go they go all out. There was a costume contest. There was some lip syncing and some drag performance. It was amazing for someone who had never experienced this movie in any capacity. The the costume element was pretty pretty interesting leading up to this because it was it was kind of that thing where like you texted me a couple days beforehand that you were going to go in costume and so i was like well fuck now i have to figure out a costume (laughs) um and so immediately started googling where to find top hats in um atlanta um 
so Justin, Justin, you having never seen Moulin Rouge and not really knowing much about the story, you kind of approached it from a circus direction. <laughs> so, which is kind of close. It's a little hard to describe because it's kind of burlesque, but I think the official genre here is like can-can dancing, yeah. bohemian a little bit. Yeah, it, it's... I found out, you know, while watching the movies, like, oh, it takes place in like a bohemian, during like a bohemian type of uh, revolution. Rebel. Yeah. Yeah. In like the. Um, a rhapsody, if you will. Oh, uh, yes. A definite bohemian rhapsody of sorts. This is La Vie Bohème uh, wrapped up in a bubble real nice. Mm-hmm. So like I was, so my, my wife Ryan had seen this movie before. She's, she loves the soundtrack. <laughs> she was actually super jealous that we got to go watch it in person um, as opposed to watching it at home like we normally do and getting to share notes and stuff. But she loved that. Like that was my first exposure to it, that we got to go see it live and around surrounded by people who loved the movie just as much as you did. Uh, and right. her too. So but, we, we come to the theater in costume. Um, there's uh, a costume contest that happens before the show uh, put on by a couple drag Queens. It was pretty great. You almost stepped up, and it's probably pretty good that you didn't because they they were asking them specific questions about the movie, and you would have uh, been kind of lost a little bit. Well, you know what? Looking back historically, like I I am regretting not going up because you know I would have had could have done it. I think I could have done it. They weren't asking like specific questions, but I think my angle that like, hey, I'm dressed up in this insane getup, and I have this really cool top hat, and I've never seen the movie before, but I came here. You could have gotten, it was like a clap based um, contest. So Mm -hmm. you could have gotten a lot of applause for being like the one person who's never seen the movie in the lineup. That, that could have been your angle. I see what you're saying. That could have been, but I was, I was a little too shy, but that's all right. Um, But yeah, so (laughs) I had no idea what this was. Um, So I was like, I want to dress up, but I don't know like what to do. My only touch point for this movie is the Lady Marmalade, Christina Aguilera music video from around the same time. And I was like, all right, so it's like sexy stripper burlesque kind of thing. But like, how do you translate that to like a a male outfit? And I landed on like in Pinterest or something found. um, It was like circus goth kind of thing. And I was like, oh, that's totally up my alley. I had the perfect thing to go with it, like a weird shirt and a a vest and and, uh, Ryan did my did my makeup. Your, nice. the, the eyeliner and eyebrows effect looks really great. We we have pictures of all this on on the gram if anyone's interested. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you get to see how how damn good your boys looked in person. <laughs> but um, yeah, this was a, a really fun, unique experience to just take in this insane drug fueled cacophony of fever dream visuals and over the top performances. And I loved every second of it. It felt very right. We were encouraged as an audience to kind of shout out, sing along, dance in the rows uh, and stuff. And that, that level of maximalism in the, in the theater itself very much reflected what was happening on screen. If there was one movie to do that too, it was Mulan. It was this one. And I really appreciated that because like the, the community aspect of it really amped it up even though you know we'll we'll take a little tangent and talk about the 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 technical aspects of the movie theater mm-hmm. the sound balance wasn't quite 
quite great. So I missed a lot of dialogue. Oh, but, I kept on I kept on thinking that as I was sitting next to you, I was like, oh, there's so many plot points happening right now and you cannot hear it over the music. But I was able to kind of glean what's going on. And that's just good storytelling. That's just good visual storytelling. Like I could kind of tell what's happening and what they're talking about. And I almost wanted to go back and rewatch it at home mm-hmm. with the subtitles on and stuff. But I didn't want to sully the experience that we that we shared that, uh, you know, a week ago, whatever. So like. This movie does very well also as like a YouTube clip rewatch. You can watch individual segments. Things are broken down. Obviously, it's a musical, right? We're talking about musicals because it is the month of March 2023 right now. Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, This is our musical month. This is Joe's pick, Moulin Rouge, March. Um, So it's it's pretty easy to break this movie down into uh, kind of its musical segments. Find those online. But there's also like a a pretty intricate amount of plot happening in between this also this movie was also a lot longer than i remembered it being i thought it was going to be like a tight hour 40 it's like two and a half hours long yeah it, it was a bit it was a big production kind of oh, yeah. thing and there's a lot to move through um storytelling wise so like mm-hmm. i was I, it didn't feel long to me um just because they keep hitting you over the head with you know big set pieces big musical numbers big surprises and things like mm-hmm. that. So it, it kept my attention and not like wanting to look at the clock or anything like that. So I had a blast with this. So mm-hmm. I'm really glad that I had never seen it before and that, you know, we got to experience this in a very unique way. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's little, it, it, it would pay to go back and rewatch. There's little, there's a bunch of little like comedic throwaway lines that are in there that we maybe couldn't hear as well that are pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting that this is the first way you experience this movie by like focusing more on just like the big musical numbers and just the overall vibe of it rather than the individual plot elements, because that's kind of how I experienced this movie growing up. Like the first time I watched this movie, this movie was like a mainstay musical in my house. We loved it. We watched it all the time. Yeah. Like I, I never really got what the story was for like uh, a while. I wasn't really paying attention to that bit be- just because I was so blown away by the fact that they could do this in a, a, a musical. Yeah. So this is a very specific type of musical called a jukebox musical. That's, oh. that's what it's called when uh, you have like popular pre-written songs as part of your musical. Okay. Um, so you have, you have uh, musicals like, like Mamma Mia mm-hmm. that are like specifically one band's songs, a lot of musicals like that. Yeah. Uh, and then this one is obviously a, a mashup of several different artists. So like that yeah. novelty as a kid to me was uh, incredible. I was like, this, this is illegal. How are they doing this right now? <laughs> I, get, I totally get that. So like I, the again, like the only touch point I had was Lady Marmalade, like maybe that shows up in the movie, maybe not. Maybe it was just like, um, kind of like a, a seal kiss from a rose kind of thing. Like it doesn't take place in the movie or anything like mm-hmm. that. So, you know, you get through like the opening bits and there's like the overture o- opening thing. And I know we're kind of going out of order than what we normally do, but this, is fine. We're this is fine. So like, which I didn't know until after the fact, you know, like it opens with John Leguizamo kind of like in his clown outfit kind of singing up to the moon mm-hmm. and it's doing the big pan stuff and he's singing you know the nature boy song that i found out later um on the soundtrack it's fucking david bowie mm-hmm. singing 
and that's like a Nat King Cole song. It's like a jazz standard. And I was like, this fucking rules. But I had no idea what that was until later. So I was like, okay, so this is like an overture, unique song. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a couple plot points away. um, You know, once we get to the point where you start to hear the Lady Marmalade song, and then it smashes into Smells Like Teen Spirit. And that's when I was like, oh, that's what this kind of movie is. All right. I'm I'm so glad you got to experience it like this then. I am in. And that that was the moment that I was like, okay, I'm sitting up a little bit more. I'm getting more comfortable in my seat. I was already there for the wrong, even if you haven't seen the movie, it's pretty great. Yeah. So that, uh, that was a big, like, Oh shit. That's what this movie is. That's cool. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and there's, there's definite examples of movies that have followed, um, uh, this movie kind of, uh, using more modern songs within historical settings. And a lot of those movies are Baz Luhrmann movies. So this is a Baz Luhrmann movie. He's a director from Australia. He, um, tends to direct more like incredibly flashy, incredibly maximalist films like this. Um, so he's done stuff, uh, like, Moulin Rouge, he did um, The Great Gatsby with Leonardo DiCaprio. He did uh, Australia again with uh, Nicole Kidman. And then uh, the latest movie he did actually came out this year was Elvis. And so in a lot of these movies, you get that same element of like using uh, modern music and modern uh, dialogue in certain cases to Mm -hmm. put the viewer into this historical setting, but give them the vibe of what these characters may have been feeling at the time. Yeah, like, and I I really appreciate that. That's really unique and cool. And we were talking about this at dinner just beforehand that like this is Baz Luhrmann joint. The only other thing that I had seen from him is one that you haven't seen. And now mm-hmm. it is on our list for an c- upcoming episode at some point. But mm-hmm. it is the the Romeo and Juliet from 96 with Leo and um, Claire Danes. And that's the one that I remember watching in 1996 being blown away by like what is what are all these visible you know visuals that like this feels illegal to make a movie like this like Mm -hmm. the same kind of way that you were feeling about it so that's that's really neat it's pretty wacky um and leo obviously at the time auditioned for the role of christian in this movie but it went to ewan mcgregor who can sing baby dude i have a note that ewan mcgregor put his whole obi-wan kabussy all up (laughs) he is going for it and one of the my most favorite things that he does throughout the whole thing whenever he's singing he's like smile singing oh my god you you can't help but look at his mouth he's got the craziest smile happening um, and it's like so infectious and stuff. And you can mm-hmm. you can literally see how his voice is going through his mouth and producing sounds. Mm-hmm. So much fun. Uh, this is actually this is the Ewan McGregor performance I think of before anything else when I think of Ewan McGregor. So like even like Star Wars, even some of his more recent stuff. Um, I always come back to Moulin Rouge with him. I recognized him from and I'd never seen it. Um, I, I recognized him from I think Train Spotting was one mm-hmm. of his earliest movies. And like I recognize that actor, you know, of sorts. So when he showed up in um, Phantom Menace, I was like, okay, it's that guy. And you said this took this movie is around the the time between episodes one and two. Mm -hmm. I actually have a list of uh, little film uh, facts at the bottom of my notes. So this is between 
episode one and two, they actually had to clear off the sound stages really quick at the end of filming this movie in like 2000 because Attack of the Clones was coming in to film. So Ewan just went from like one to the next uh, on that in that same location. What all these like interior shots and stuff. Bananas. That's insane. He did not spend a lot on travel that year. No, he didn't. Um, Good for him. So yeah, like we mentioned, this is a Baz Luhrmann film. Uh, you've seen uh, Romeo and Juliet, Romeo plus Juliet, right. uh, and then we both just saw Moulin Rouge. This is actually Moulin Rouge is the third in uh, what's known as as his um, Red Curtain trilogy. So you cool. notice that like the beginning of um, Moulin Rouge, there's that like theatrical element where the curtain goes uh, aside, and it's the 20th Century Fox uh, logo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's that stylistic choice that kind of pervades a lot of his movies. Um, but the first uh, in that trilogy, so Romeo plus Juliet is the second, Moulin Rouge is the third. The first is a movie called Strictly Ballroom mm-hmm. uh, that I told you about for a second. I don't think you've seen that one. I know. I we may have to cover that as like a little, another little Baz Luhrmann miniseries follow-up because that movie yeah. is so fun. Yeah, we'll do, um, we'll watch, we'll go back and we'll watch Romeo plus Juliet mm-hmm. and then we'll round out the trilogy and we're going in backwards order. We'll do so a backwards red curtain trilogy. I love it. It's I love so it. great. It's great. Yeah. Um, because Strictly Ballroom is a, a mockumentary about ballroom dancing in Australia in the 90s. It's 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 much more uh, best in show, another yeah. movie that we've covered than anything else. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious um, and it has great dancing and again, great music in it. That's so cool. Yeah, we'll have to do that. Listeners, um, listeners, hold us accountable for when we do that. Hold us accountable, please. Uh, please, please answer our polls whenever we post them on Instagram. Yep. Uh, we love feedback wherever we can get it. Send us DMs. Do all the things. Send us emails, a yes. fax if you want. We do have an email out there that I don't know how to check. I don't either. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we set that up. Um, yeah. So what? Uh, what? Uh, where? Where are we going to next, Joe? Where, where are you going to talk about I, next? So if we're, if we're talking about just like little baby Joe's connection to this movie, this is obviously a pretty seminal uh, movie musical for me growing up. Uh, it was my first touch point with Baz Luhrmann and I've watched and enjoyed a lot of his movies since I would say like in the vein of kind of like jukebox musical comedy drama style, there's, there's actually another movie from around this time that was also a, a mainstay in my household that isn't necessarily what you would think. Okay. Have you seen uh, A Night's Tale with Heath Ledger? I've seen parts of it. Okay. So it's, it's very similar in that it is obviously set in like medieval times mm-hmm. um medieval times <laughs> um, <and laughs> the entertainment it's place set in, in a, a mall that has a <laughs> uh jousting tournament in the middle of it yep um but it uses uh modern music and even like the the characters themselves are even like singing modern music uh in certain cases to kind of put you into the 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 viewpoint of what it was like to like watch jousting uh, yeah it may have been the same as like watching a football game, watching a wrestling match or something. Absolutely. Yeah. How I these characters are taking it. The only thing I really remember from that movie, just like the only touch points, because like I haven't seen it. I know that Paul Bettany is in it mm-hmm. and Heath Ledger, uh, you know, just going, going ham. And I, the only scene I can really remember is um, lifted from somewhere. I don't remember. 
but it's the jousting scene, but there's like, we will rock you in the background oh, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And I remember like thinking about that. And I was like, that's really weird. Like that. It's like you want modern music and people are interacting in a way with the music and it's taking place in this weird, you know, old time frame of, of human history. Whereas like in this movie, it makes sense. Cause it's, even though it is like a time period piece, it's so elevated to mm-hmm. the absurd and like, and like the Moulin spectacular, is like a theater in certain cases. So like they, they're, they're literally doing performances. Yeah. So like it doesn't, it didn't, well, I'm not saying it bothers me that like, you know, a night's tale does that. I'm sure if I go back and watch it, it, it I'll get into it and it, it would make sense. But like, well, night's tale's great. just like, as just like a pure, like read uh 10,000 foot view, like in the Moulin Rouge world, it fits a little bit more because it is so, over the top and performancey that kind of thing. Whereas like it, to me, like it would be like watching game of Thrones, but then you hear, you know, Lil John and, and <laughs> Usher come on, you know, like it wouldn't fit. It wouldn't fit the vibe. It might like in theory fit the vibe, but all I uh, can say is that it works. You got to revisit it. Okay. All right. Um, Cool. So before we go any further, do we want to do the plot first while it's still kind of fresh in my mind? Or do we want to do the trailer? Hang on, hang on. Let me give you some film stats. Okay, give me those. Give me those. Give me those. Let's jump into the trailer and then I will. Well, you will do the monumental uh, plot description in under 60 seconds. (laughs) Good luck. Um, I know. So Moulin Rouge, directed by Baz Luhrmann, stars Ewan McGregor, Nicole Kidman, Jim Broadbent, John Leguizamo, and uh, Richard Roxburgh is the the Duke. So funny in this movie mm, and so mm-hmm. creepy. Um, released in May of 2001, made 179 million uh, worldwide against a budget of only 50 million. Uh, wow, okay. Would, uh, you'd think it'd be bigger, but uh, there's like so much green screen in this movie, uh, especially during like the musical moments. Yeah. So I'm wondering if they like saved money on just effects there. Probably. Um, inspired by the opera La Boheme, uh, as well as Indian Bollywood film style and the, the Greek tragedy Orpheus and Eurydice, which you can, uh, you can definitely see cause it's very much this, this tale of this, uh, kind of musical prodigy going into this seedy underworld and meeting a girl and she kind of gets trapped and he's trying to bring her out of it. And ultimately yeah it ends in tragedy. This is ultimately a tragic movie. Uh, it really is. It definitely ends on a bummer note for sure. It is bookended by darkness. Uh, uh-huh. And then we travel back to 1899 and it's all great. Um, and then we go forward and it's not so great. It's not so great. <laughs> um, the, and like we mentioned, the third in his trilogy after uh, Strictly Ballroom and Romeo and Juliet. So cool. Why don't we queue up this trailer? Okay. Um, because there's a few of them, and I'm wondering if this is the one I've seen. Well, we'll see. Here we go. Whoop. Whoop. He entered a world where fantasy is real, where he could be anything he wanted, and where he would discover the most dangerous temptation of all. Come and get me, boys. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. I believe you were expecting me. Yes. Silly. I think you would fall in love with someone like me. I can't fall in love with anyone and make men believe what they want to believe. Never knew I could 
not feel like this. I believe in truth, freedom, and above all things, love. Like I've never seen the sky. the financial resources to make you a star. You don't have to wear that dress tonight. I require a contract that binds Satine to me exclusively. He could destroy everything. I don't care. We have each other. Make Christian believe you don't love him. He'll fight for me. Hurt him. Hurt him to save him. Whatever happens, no matter how bad things get, we love one another. And it goes on like that, but oh man! <laughs> okay, That's- it's it's two thousand, and uh, that trailer comes out. What what are we thinking? They're they're doing like a club remix of the Come What May song. And uh, okay, so now that I've seen the movie, I do not dig that trailer. That paints the wrong picture. I think I think that just goes to show that a movie like this is probably very hard to make a trailer for. Yeah, like I I get it. So like. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 2001, I'm uh, 15, going on 16. Okay. Maybe 15 at that at this point. Or maybe shit, maybe I'm 14. I have no idea how math works. Yeah. Um, We've proven that this episode, yeah. So if I'd seen that trailer, that trailer in particular, I'd be like, I don't want to watch that movie. It looks too dramatic and too much fat boy slim going on. I don't want to watch that. It looks like a crime comedy film or something like that. I don't know. And it so I and maybe it was just the the production of being in a theater with enthusiasts and drag queens and people all dressed up and stuff that made it feel way more fun mm-hmm. than that fucking trailer. <laughs> <laughs> that trailer ruined it. Yeah, watching this in a theater with that crowd felt very much like we were in an actual theater theater watching things happen on a stage. Yeah. Um, with things that we could like react to. Um, yeah. Wild crowd, people throwing out one liners, people clapping, people singing along. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty great. It was great. Yeah. Loved it. Um, but yeah, so, it, you know, 2001, if I, I didn't see this movie because I wasn't super into musicals. At the time, I got mm. into musicals later in life. Um, my first one being uh, my future episode, which is going to come out before this one. Oh, I have a whole question for you at the end of this episode about how we want to tease things that we will get to. Yeah. So like uh, that was my first exposure to a musical, the, my episode, which I won't spoil for you. You, you know, it doesn't well, fucking no, we, matter because it's coming out before. About it. Yeah, it'll yeah, come yeah, out yeah. after. We can talk about it. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So uh, Little Shop of Horrors was one that I'd seen uh, like probably the next year, like mm-hmm. during high school. Um, I'd always thought high or musicals were just kind of just 
boring. I wasn't into it. Um, so like, but that was my first exposure to one. So that is my episode. That is my pick, which I love so much because I have so many connections to it and I had seen it multiple times. And yeah, so around 2001, when this trailer com- comes out, this movie comes out. Yeah. I'm not interested at all to, to see this. Like I, my only other touch point for Nicole Kidman was when she was in Batman forever. We haven't really Val Kilmer about Nicole as much, but this is kind of her her breakout in terms of like large award prestige. Like she yeah. had been she'd been nominated for a lot of stuff. Uh, this is kind of I don't know if this is her coming off of the Tom Cruise marriage, and so she's kind of like freeing herself up in yeah, that way, probably. But I think before she was very much seen as just Tom Cruise's wife. And mm-hmm. now she's kind of uh, coming into her own as an actress, even though she was obviously in uh, a bunch of great stuff in the 90s, like you're saying, uh, like Batman. Uh, was it forever? Batman forever. Batman forever. Yeah, that's the one with Val Kilmer. And then Dr. Batman and Robin. Dr. Chase Meridian. Yes, Dr. Chase Meridian. Yes. And I, <laughs> I can never remember if that's her first or last name, if, if it's reversed. But yeah, it was that one. And then like Eyes Wide Shut. Again, with Tom Cruise, but like it was always paired. Like you said, she was Tom Cruise's wife, Tom Cruise's um, enormously <laughs> tall wife to his meager five, three. I think um, it's I, one of my favorite podcasts is called this had Oscar buzz. They were talking about Nicole Kidman at one point and they, <laughs> they just mentioned this throwaway line about how uh, Chase Meridian sounds like a credit card name, <laughs> uh, <yes. laughs> which I always think of with that movie. Um <laughs> So good. But yeah, I think uh, a lot of people in the 90s had this like this view of Nicole Kidman as maybe only getting roles because she was Tom Cruise's wife. Uh, yeah. and this is where she really starts to break out with stuff like Moulin Rouge. She gets her first Oscar nomination. This is two years before her Oscar win for the hours. So she's really coming into her own. And now she's like one of our biggest and best prestige actresses, obviously. Damn right. And this is also like the ultimate dang that that actor or actress knows how to sing a little bit movie mm-hmm. right yeah um who, when did ewan mcgregor sing before this when did nicole kidman sing too much before this did uh, they uh, actually provide their voices to each track i believe so you can kind of tell i mean it's definitely like voice over when mm-hmm. they're oh yeah singing performing movie, yeah. but it, it's them yeah that's cool okay i appreciate that but yeah like who knew that either of them could could belt like they like yeah, they do it's pretty great um, where was I going with this? Okay. Uh, I want to, uh, get back into your history with musicals real quick. Okay. Yeah. So we will talk about little shop of horrors, which, uh, is in the future, but technically in the past because it's late March right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that movie itself is based off of a Broadway musical or the other way around, or when, when did the movie come out? Uh, I can give you all of these details during that episode that takes place <laughs> in the future and the past at the same time. And I know that they are, um, you know, symbiotic. Mm-hmm. One of them is a stage play and then there, and, but I can't remember which one proceeds. It's from the eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, it is high time for, for Rick Moranisville, but I remember Moranis, yeah. loving that, that musical. And I think for some reason it may have been just the style of the songs and everything and we'll touch on it in that future episode but that's something that's kind of like fu- like shaped my future of like overall aesthetic and music style that i just hold close to my heart and that is like retro doo-wop 
uh, googie style <laughs> kind of stuff, surf rock, like all of that kind of era yeah. is, is um, something that I love. I love everything from the visuals to the music um, to like the movies and stuff like that that came out around that area. Uh, are there any other musicals? I mean, this is this is the month of musicals. Are there any other musicals that you have enjoyed since then? Uh, like kind of as a result of like diving into musicals? Your yeah. there a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, Rent in 2005 mm-hmm. um, or 2006, whenever it came out. I think it was 2005. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember watching that one and kind of remembering hearing that it was this big Broadway smash years, years and years prior to but i like super dug that one um and yeah that, that was like my second kind of like stake in the ground of like oh man musicals can be awesome it doesn't have to be one thing for everybody it, like everybody has their own kind of style and things like yeah. that so i love both of those um and while it's not wholly like a musical musical maybe it is uh but like the producers oh uh, yeah the, totally the remake that they did with Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane, um, I fucking love. And I saw, I seen, I saw like an off Broadway version of that musical and it was fucking great. Mm. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my rounded version. And, and now I appreciate most, if not all musicals for what they are. Very nice. Very, very stylized movies, very uh, comedic movies in that way too. And this, this movie has a lot of comedy as well. Yep. Um, okay. Before we get into f- anything further, I want to see you attempt a plot description of 2001's Moulin Rouge. Yep. And we can do some quick cocktail t- talk and then just open it up for free reign discussion. Yeah. So um, again, I want to preface that <laughs> I had only seen the movie the once uh-huh. and it was in a theater where the music balance versus the audio of dialogue balance was way off. I don't so, know how they did that. Do they get two different audio tracks? I don't I don't know how they how they did that or how they goofed it. Maybe it was something something was misbalanced. Yeah. There's, so there's so I many missed... details of this movie that are spoken over music and you could not hear that at all in this. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to try my damnedest. OK. To give you a pretty good. Uh, if it's script. if it's just vibes, then just give me vibes. OK, yeah. um, let me get this ready. Then we'll do one minute. Are you ready? I'm ready. OK, your time starts. The Moulin Rouge takes place in Paris, but in like a like a seedy underground version of it where like sex is is crazy. And it opens in 1900, but it really takes place in 1899 where Ewan McGregor is a writer and he's a songwriter and he goes to the Moulin Rouge and he like meets up with some friends and they're like, hey, go to the Moulin Rouge and maybe they'll like get you we'll we'll get you to write a musical or something like that but like he meets uh satine and they fall in love she's a hooker with a heart she's like don't fall in love me i i I bang people for money and he's like no 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 let's fall in love so then they put on a play and there's a duke and he's gonna finance the whole theater to turn it into this big thing and professor slughorn is there and he's having a good time and the duke tries to steal away satine but she has tuberculosis and she dies in the end and it's really a big bummer during like their whole end performance and then we shoot back and he's just writing his story because she told him to she told him to write it and he does wow did i do it i i think you did it i mean i think you did the movie better justice than the movie trailer that we saw that's right um yeah there's there's a key element of this movie that is covered in dialogue where there's like an initial 
miscommunication that happens that causes um, Satine and Christian to meet up. She thinks he's the Duke. Uh, he uh, tells her that uh, he's a writer. There's like a really fun scene where they're trying to like convince the Duke to then finance the show uh, with the spectacular, spectacular number. Yeah. Um, that went so over my head uh, as a child watching this. Um, well, it's not for you as a child. <laughs> it, it, it took me a while. Um, and then what the movie essentially becomes is a kind of a, a balance between Christian is writing this play slash musical for Satine to star in. And he's using their own life, their own experiences as the subject of the musical. And so yep. it's very much like what is happening on the stage is actually happening behind the scenes as well. Yep. They're, they're trying to hide their love from the Duke who's trying to claim Satine as his own in exchange for financing this uh, theatrical production. Um, and then ultimately what it comes down to is um, Satine uh, has to choose between uh, love versus like her dreams. Uh, but all of that is bulldozed over by um, the fact that she got uh, consumption. Yes. <laughs> right. um, life, so, will, life will get you in the I end. I know. I, I, so I missed the whole bit of dialogue, like why they even go to the Moulin Rouge to begin with. I was like, what, what's, what is motivating them to go there? And what is the goal that he's trying to do? Mm -hmm. So I it's, missed that part. But like, I get that. I, I understood that it was like a classic misdirection where she thought he was the Duke and he thought he was just getting a meeting with her to pitch a, a, a musical or, or whatever he was doing. Mm -hmm. There's a couple, there's a couple throwaway lines at like the very beginning of the film that like, if you miss them, it's kind of hard to pick them back up. So there's the, he comes to Paris in 1899 to be a part of like the Bohemian revolution yeah. um, and be like a pauper. And he wants to write, he wants to make music and stuff. Uh, the, his upstairs neighbors are also in that same vein. I don't know if you notice, but David Wenham is the, uh, person who's kind of like their their writer who quits uh so faramir from lord of the rings that was him oh that's i missed uh, that okay he's in a couple of Baz Luhrmann movies um and so that guy quits they recognize christian's talent um they're trying to write basically like the great american novel except the the thing that defines the bohemian revolution they're they're trying to take these themes of beauty truth freedom and love uh and put them into like a a, a defining piece um yeah. and so they hang out at the moulin rouge a lot the people at the moulin rouge know this group um and so they're trying to propose it uh to the moulin rouge people to put it on as production because they know they're trying okay. to make more of a legit theater house okay all right i get it now and then the duke was going there to like financier yeah, the whole it thing was more of like the official i'm going to be the money behind this but i also want creative involvement and, also and I, I want to bank satine like exclusively i want to own satine because i have weird issues yes it's issues yeah he uh he is delightfully sleazy oh my god he's the worst they picked the best actor for that and they gave he chose like the perfect like way to deliver lines that just uh -huh. oozes like sleaze and grease and gross. Yeah. Some of the best parts are where they're all like singing beautifully. And then he tries to chime in with like a note and it's the worst thing you've ever. Heard. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you're talking about like the scene where it's the, the classic bumbling and uh, where Christian is trying to like 
hide that he was just trying to like seduce Satine and the mm-hmm. Duke comes in and he's like, no, 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 I'm a writer and we're writing a movie or we're writing a play about a <laughs> sitar player. Yeah. He's just picking <laughs> shit up off the wall. And like, and I was like, okay, that's what this, that's what the rest of the movie is. It's going to be one of those classic kind of contained stories of like the gang's going to put on <laughs> the gang's putting on a musical essentially. And I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty fun. Contained in terms of the script, but also contained in terms of like, this entire uh, movie pretty much takes place within a building uh, on a city block, right? Yep, yep. They, they do not go anywhere. It is all in the Moulin Rouge uh, and just about them trying to put on this production while finding and then hiding love throughout. Apt, aptly named. Yeah, it's not called like Bohemia France or whatever. It, it is at the Moulin Rouge. So that is what this fucking movie is called. It's kind of crazy. Bohemia France was actually the title of this movie through most of production. Shut up. It right at the very end. No, man. Oh, man. Come on. Bohemia, comma, France. That'd be (laughs) cool. That would be cool. So I want to know more about like the writing of it. Like who who was involved with the writing? Like, so uh, let me look up some stats for you. So this movie was written by. Uh, Boz Lerman uh, in partnership with someone named Craig Pierce. Um, I think there was quite a bit of uh, time and effort that went into this one because obviously we talked about how it was inspired by the vibe and or little literal story points of several different uh, genres, several different like historical works. Um, uh, but it actually the the hardest part uh, from what I can tell is it took them two and a half years to secure all the song rights um, uh, because yeah. obviously there's a million different songs happening in this movie. Yeah. And so you got to go get a mo- meeting with David Bowie. You got to go talk to the queen people. You got to go talk to Dolly Parton. There's so much going on. Uh, and so there's individual songs that are just straight up covers. And then there's also, kind of the core of this movie and the thing that a lot of people remember uh, is the scene. That's the elephant love medley when yep. they're on top of the elephant. It's kind of after that first confrontation where they're deciding to work together, the Duke is on board. Mm-hmm. And so they both come together and he's like, so, so what was that? Um, and she's kind of trying to play it coy. Like, Oh, I, I didn't actually fall in love with you during your, my song, uh, your song riff. Um, yeah, I'm it just, all, a, it was all an act. She's, she's like, I'm just I'm, a hooker. Like yeah, I, I have a heart of stone. Don't don't make me love you. Don't fall in love with me. Don't do it. Don't make me love you. Don't do it. I can't do it. Um, and then he but yeah, launches into just a mashup after mashup after mashup of why they should love each other. That was fun to to watch uh, and listen to because there's just like reference after reference after line after line, and I was like, okay, so that's great. good. That's good. That's great. That's good. So, so great. cool. Um, and there's actually a, a note on that song. So they they eventually made a Broadway musical of Moulin Rouge in like Mm -hmm. 2018 is when it launched. Great time to launch a Broadway musical. Yeah. Um, (laughs) um, And that song in particular was updated with more uh, modern components. So instead of like, Whitney Houston instead of David Bowie and stuff like that. Um, there's, I think there's bits of like Regina Spector in the new one. There's uh, much more modern songs. So it's, it's, it's kind of a fun thing that you can update uh, to appeal to newer audiences while still maintaining the same vibe of like, yeah. why should we fall in love? You know, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do appreciate that. Um, 
the the just the sheer amount of hoops that they had to jump through, like like you mentioned, is just a nightmare. I yeah, imagine. yeah. Like legal had to just be like pulling their hair out the whole time. Like you want to get this one line, we have to get like that's the hangup. Mm-hmm. Insane. Uh, yeah. Joe, before we go any further, you mentioned um, should we should we cheers to each other? I see we're both drinking green beverages. We I think we both went the same route. So tell me tell me what you got going here, Joe. I took a page from your book inspiration number one joe murphy is going for names of cocktails mm-hmm. this is the kylie minogue i am so glad you caught on that that was kylie minogue okay. that was hilarious so it's green like an absinthe drink but it, it you know an absinthe beverage it is not uh this is tequila midori and the the key the key ingredient here you may not be able to pick it up in the in the image but uh, there's some sparkle syrup in here. This is maple syrup with edible glitter that my dad got me for Christmas. Um, it is incredible. <laughs> so there's some of that in there and lime juice, and it is delightful. And it's green and sparkly, and it's everything about this movie. Um, and it's, it's the Kylie Minogue. That is so great. Obviously, I went the exact same route. Um, so this is what I'm calling the Green Fairy. Um, yes. So it is a take on a popular drink that I believe Hemingway used to drink called I think death in the afternoon or death by afternoon or something oh like that. Oh my God. <laughs> it is champagne mixed with actual absinthe um, and with a rim of food colored green sugar uh, around it. Damn. That's cool. Yeah. I, we, t- <laughs> we went to the same area of the movie, mm-hmm. just this one insane drug trip that they take before they're like hey let's go to the let's go to the burlesque strip club shots of absinthe let's get let's go trip balls before we go to this big meeting christian you know let's go do i that. i almost went with um the sparkling diamond but i was like oh god that's gonna have to be like a vodka on ice you know like it, it can't have any color at all um so that that would have killed me yep it was either that or um uh, uh ryan mentioned that you know you could do something red because there's a lot of red like that's if if you took it if you look at one of those websites that takes like a screenshot uh, of every frame and kind of like Mm -hmm. compile it like there would be so much red picture of you it'd be like red and gold uh, yeah yeah that's that's the the theme of this movie yep i love Um, it but yeah yeah that's that's cocktail hour very good kylie minogue and uh the green fairy (laughs) okay so moulin rouge let's let's get into a few different areas that i want to cover um so we talked about how Baz Luhrmann as a filmmaker and a lot of his films uh, takes focuses on kind of like a snapshot of a time in history. And then music is used in a lot of different areas to bring people uh, who are watching the film into that world and help them connect more with these characters and what they're feeling at the time. Uh, I really love how music can kind of be, a very specific bridge in that way, rather than just like a cool accompaniment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so uh, he does it with stuff like Great Gatsby in the 20s. He does it with stuff like Elvis in the 50s, 50s and 60s. Um, and then this movie obviously is very specifically focused on a turning point uh, right before the new millennium, not millennium, new century, um, 1899. And so you can really tell how focused it is because it's book ended by these like really dreary scenes of like, this is 1900s Paris and everything sucks and it's wet and everything's gray. Yep. And Christian is depressed because everyone's dead. 
Um, Little does he know that back. World War One is around yeah. the corner. <laughs> go back one year, and it's like it's like Dorothy coming out of the cottage in Wizard of Oz. Everything's Technicolor. Everyone's having a great time. All the yeah. prostitutes are partying. Like, yeah. uh, no one's, <laughs> you know, no one's dead. It's great. Yeah. Um. Uh. So I really love that. I. I think. I think the main thing I just have to get into is the songs of this movie because there's so many uh, all killer, no filler style songs. Like I could, I could probably rank them. Um, I'm curious to see like as a first time viewer, what Mm -hmm. were, what were kind of the high points with music for you? What surprised you? Uh, So we talked about how there was kind of like a novelty of, Oh, this is a jukebox musical. These are actual songs. What was your favorite element there versus like, yeah. So I original songs. Did you like those? Yeah, so I couldn't tell uh, from the outset that it was going to be a jukebox uh, musical. Mm-hmm. Um, I got the first inkling when he's like with the with the I don't know. I'm going to call them um, I don't know, just the ragamuffin group the from troops, upstairs. The Bohemians, the Bohemian troop from upstairs. Um, you know, they're trying to go through the lines and everything, and he and he does the sound of music thing. You know, the hills are alive with the sound of music. And I was like, hang on, wait a minute. I recognize that. What's going on here? That's that's such a funny scene because like leading up to it, there's like there's the four of them and they're trying to find the lyrics and none of them land on the hills are alive with the sound of music, but they're throwing out stuff like the (laughs) mountains are vibrating with the cacophonies of sound or something like that. It's like insane, like the (laughs) source level stuff. Yeah. Um, So that was the first one that like pricked my ears up. I was like, hang on, what's going on here? mm -hmm. And then I already mentioned earlier. So like when it's like, all right, let's do some shots and let's go to the Moulin Rouge and, and, and look at all the, the, the spectacle that's there. And then that's when you get into the lady marmalade. And then when it like smashes into, um, smells like teen spirit, I was like, Oh my God. Okay. So it's, it's going to be one of those where it's like references all over the place, you know, some really old, some fairly modern takes. And so that was like my first kind of like, okay, this is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Another musical number that I loved uh, was one that we talked about. It's it's the the I don't know what it's called, but it's the one on top of the the elephant. Um, it's called the Elephant Love Medley. Perfect, and it is exactly that. It is a medley of references and songs to kind of get a, the point across of like, no, we should totally fall in love. Everything's going to be fine. No one's going to die in the end. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, loved that. The visuals were insane. The the crazy moon in the in the background, uh, delightful. I loved the like um, tango Roxanne. Ooh, yes, that was great. And then highlight for me, highlight with a capital H and a capital light was like a fucking virgin. I am so glad. Okay, like a virgin, like a virgin mm-hmm. is always the song that I forget is in this movie, and it always cracks me the hell up whenever it, it happens. It brought the house down in the theater. Everyone was loving it because it's like the two guys, the two guys in the main cast who maybe like can't and shouldn't be singing going insane with a Madonna cover. Yeah. So it's it's Ziegler trying to convince the villain, the Duke, that uh, Nicole Kidman's character can't sleep with him because she had to go to confession because she's feeling impure. Yeah. (laughs) It's such a bonkers like. (laughs) left turn way to kind of like steer into it's like all right how do we get this story narrative to get to like a virgin he's like mm-hmm. okay uh 
She's going to have to confess that it's, she's feeling impure and that she's feeling like a virgin. And it's yes, like, like but you imagine them storyboarding this out and they're literally like they have nails on a board that are like, these are the songs we have to hit. How the hell do we have to connect them? And yeah. the like a virgin one is so fun because it almost creeps up on you because mm -hmm. he's kind of just convincing him and they're talking. And then you realize he's like, those are the lyrics to Madonna. Yeah. Saying the lyrics to Madonna. <laughs> so that was such a delight. And then like it just busts into this insane you know, musical number, dance piece, you know, with the the butlers and everybody dancing around. It's like little Rockettes thing. Like they're, they're so like great. doing high kicks and stuff. So I did not expect that at all. And that was the 100% highlight. Even mm -hmm. though, you know, the, the final number and the performance, um, you know, um, of the, the musical that he is writing and all that kind yeah. of stuff comes to fruition. I thought it was a weird choice that it was going to be like a Bollywood style Indian style. Like, sure, mm -hmm. I guess maybe, but um, yeah, that one was that one is that one was just all right. But those are my my highlights. It kind of fits into the the time period where, like, hey, it's eighteen ninety nine. Maybe India is is a lot more exotic and unfamiliar than it is these days, and so it would have really drawn a crowd to be like, hey, we're making a musical about India. Yeah, um, and I get that. That's, that's that's exotic India out there. And it, and it also fits into Baz Luhrmann's style because they're going very maximalist. Uh, a lot of stuff happening. A lot Way of color, over the top. Dancing. Um, yeah, highlights for me. Um, I really love the the Your Song bit. It's often It often gets overlooked because it's very similar to the F Elephant Love Medley. But it's, it's Ewan McGregor singing um, Elton John. And that first note that he hits really kind of throws you into the ring of like, yeah. oh, shit, you and McGregor is going to be belting in this movie. Um, and it also, you can, it's, it's, it's him singing, but uh, what I love most is Nicole Kidman's performance in that mm -hmm. scene, because beforehand she's doing all the comedy trying to get him to just fucking have sex with her. Right. So great. Uh, and he is acting so awkward and she's getting so annoyed by him. <laughs> and then he starts singing and immediately there's like a, there's a tone shift in her face. Yep. She's like, what the fuck is happening? Uh, and then just throughout a single song, uh, you can see her falling in love with him. Yep. Um, just because he represents so much more than she was expecting from that <laughs> interaction. Um, I do love the original song. So the big original song for this movie is come what may uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I listen to that one a lot. There's, there's a couple different versions. So there's kind of like the, the lower key one that they first sing as mm -hmm. like, okay, we're writing this song into the, this fake theatrical. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. It's going to be like the secret lover song. And then obviously they implement it into the finale in a much more grander way. Um, and then she dies. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I got to say the highlight for me and the, the song that I always think of when I think of Moulin Rouge is it's, it's Tango Roxanne. Yes. Um, so that's, that's kind of the best use of like, we're not just going to do a cover. It's going to be like our version of yeah. this. Song. Like we're going to do something kind of crazy with it. Yeah. So um, like I, and that's why like I call that one out. Cause it was so cool. Cause it's, that is like a high fever pitch of the dramatic elements moving in place oh. uh, of the story. Like that's when like the Duke is like, borderline like sexually assaulting her like so much, back, and then it's cutting back and forth and it's so the tension is high so and, much of this movie is certain elements of the story telling the story of certain other things that are happening so obviously you have the overarching story that's 
Christian's writing this play that is essentially a version of his own love story with Satine. Yep. But then in that scene, it's kind of a microcosm of uh, their, the, the Tanglers, uh, the kind of the, the second rate prostitute girl who is jealous of Nicole Kidman is doing this crazy tango with all these guys and her being kind of thrust around, around juxtaposed with like Nicole being fighting for her life altered by uh, yeah. uh, the, the Duke uh, in that case. The, the Duke. Um, it's, it's, it's a crazy way to visualize that, but it's so visceral in that way. And it puts you right into it. Yeah. And, and I loved that device about it. Right. Um, so I, and this is just getting a little bit of a head before we get to the game. So as you guys have, have the, our listeners have glommed onto, we love to do the most with this podcast. We do insane games at the end. And we've started recently with introducing like insane little musical ditties and interludes just before that. Um, and I, I handle those. Joe comes up with the insane game styles for, for most of these episodes. Um, so I took inspiration from that scene in particular, the Roxanne, because it is such a transformation of that song. Um, Cause at first, like he starts like being that gravelly sound, the Argentinian, you know, it's just like that rah. And you're like, what, what is he saying? And then he says Roxanne and you're like, Oh, it's like a tango version of Roxanne. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so I took high inspiration from that as well as, again, I mentioned it's the, the smells like teen spirit mashup with lady marmalade at the beginning and it's kind of just like that marchy kind of tone to it um and you'll 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 hear it later i can't wait to listen to it and see it like uh listeners if you're if you're listening on like a podcast app or spotify or apple music or anything like that take a take a take a gander at the youtube one of these days because justin creates original songs and videos for these little game interludes that we have that are slowly but surely becoming kind of these amazing little pieces of this <laughs> podcast that we're, we are producing original content. We're going to have an album out by the end of the year. Oh my God. Yeah. We should totally take, take a, a page out of our, our friend, Matt Hobbs at puppy songs. Shout out to make, at puppy songs. Yeah. Doing a little, little um, Spotify best of collaboration kind of thing. Yeah. We'll do that. But yeah, um, those, those were great. I, can't wait to get into the game. So we'll get into that in a second. Um, the other thing uh, I wanted to talk about was kind of talking about Roxanne, talking about this version of this song and this soundtrack in general, the the ripple effect that it has on culture, which which I'm so very surprised that you never heard uh, any of these songs from Moulin Rouge before. Yeah. Um, I gave you a little bit of homework and I'm wondering if you completed it there was a moment, I, and I told you in the, the last episode that we recorded that I was going to bring up the 2018 Winter Olympics uh, yes. on this podcast, because there's a moment where in the ice dancing competition, this couple from Canada named Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer um, basically blew the competition out of the water with a performance to this song. Mm-hmm. So it was a the tango rock sand that eventually melded into... Um, the i guess kind of their their slowed down version of come what may right yeah uh, because it kind of became a little bit more romantic at the end did you check it out i didn't justin i know, I know. <laughs> okay well that's uh 
viewers, we're gonna we're gonna post notes on that uh, on the Instagram later. We'll get Justin's uh, reaction. We'll do we'll do a little mini kind of episode about my reaction to that. I had a hundred things going on, Joe. Justin I have a one year old baby, but that's no excuse. <laughs> um, okay, if you're a fan of ice dancing, ice skating, or just like athleticism in any way, uh, and you like shipping people who definitely are married to other people. Um, check That's out, um, check out that performance on YouTube because yeah. it's, it's kind of a highlight, uh, in my life right now. I've, I've watched it like 20 times in the last week. That's so cool. I love that. Okay. Um, well, one, one other thing I wanted to touch on that I, <clears throat> uh, I got the feeling about this movie, uh, halfway through. So it is ultimately it's the hooker with a heart, you know, it's like a brothel-y, burlesque kind of seedy underworld kind of thing kind of taking place. And it reminded me of this other piece of media um, that I love. So it is from this band called The Deer Hunter, D-E-A-R. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. So uh, the band is fronted by this guy named Casey Crescenzo. He was in like emo pop post hardcore bands uh, in the 90s and early 2000s and then branched off to do his own kind of singer songwriting thing. He started along this epic journey to write this like six to seven, eight album epic of this mm-hmm. story about the deer hunter. It's about like a central character going through his thing. And it takes place at the turn of the century where. He grows up in like this weird kind of like small isolated town to his mother who used to work at a brothel and he grows up and he goes to war and he ends up at the brothel and he meets this one um, young lady who, you know, steals his heart and then he goes off to war and, and all this weird stuff. But that's exactly where I kind of placed this story as like a touch point because um, those albums are insanely like over the top um theatrical kind of sounding performances um casey writes these insane overtures and intricate pieces and stuff like that and tells a really neat narrative by way of music um so yeah so we should also do a follow-up and kind of like do like a quick listen to most of those albums of like hey this is a highlight from the story point a point b and this is kind of like where it reminds me where, where I got the drawing point from Moulin Rouge. We have so many like smaller special episodes that we'll need to fit into our main like mini series schedule just because we keep on getting ideas for things as we're recording. But that yeah. sounds awesome. That sounds like something that could so easily be transferred into a musical, like a visual medium because the story is already there. Yeah. Uh, and like it's at a unique point in time too. So like it essentially, it starts at like, imagine like if you could get the backstory of Christian, Mm-hmm. You know, like where he grew up and maybe his mom grew up in a similar kind of area. And then he goes to the Moulin Rouge and then like what happens afterwards? And then we all know what happens in the early 1900s. You know, World War One starts. Like I, I, I joked about earlier, but like he obviously goes to war. And like what happens with that? Does he meet someone along the, the along the way who knew about Satine? You know, Are we talking ago? about like the need for a Moulin Rouge sequel 10 years later, a la T2 Trainspotting? Yeah. That would be great. Wow. 
I would love that. I would let's, love nothing more. Let's workshop this. We'll we'll post it to the gram. Uh, people, keep an eye out. Yeah, we'll send an email to Baz Lerman himself. Is he still with us? He's still with us. Oh yeah, he okay. he just made Elvis. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hashtag uh, Moulin Rouge, Rouge two. Uh, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Rouge is back. Follow it. Um, I I can't help but feel that there is so much about this movie that we we haven't covered just because there's so much in this movie. But to keep it a little tight, uh, I'm I am glad that we covered some of our favorite uh, musical moments because that does uh, tend to be the highlight for me. Uh, yeah, when- and that's what it that's what it's about. That's the theme of the yeah. month. That's the theme of the movie. It's a musical, and it it tells a really neat story in a with neat devices and mm-hmm. covers a whole lot of stuff. It's um, it's ultimately about like how universal music can be. Uh, mm-hmm. it, can, it can apply to stories uh, from now or from a hundred years ago, um, and it's really just about how it makes you feel, uh, and how it makes you feel can transport you back to how people back then might have felt as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it also tells you that like you don't need money to have love. You don't need that kind of thing. And I'm drawing parallels to like the wedding singer. But it know. sure helps. Anyway. Like this, is, like Christian Ewan McGregor is Adam Sandler in mm-hmm. The Wedding Singer, the penniless yeah. songwriter kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And I think it, I think his arc is interesting in this film, even though Nicole Kidman might be the more interesting character in this case. Uh, Christian's arguably like the main one who's narrating the film. And he, he starts out with these very idealistic, but maybe a little simple, uh, ideas of love right um and he obviously goes through a lot and he develops this like intense uh, heartbreaking moments but he ultimately comes out with a better understanding uh of love in that yeah because at the beginning he says he explored in the sequel yeah <laughs> it definitely will um like shocker he's pregnant with her baby <laughs> <laughs> moulin rouge guess he's talking because <laughs> like at the beginning he says you know like love i've I've never been in love. So he has this weird idealized version of it, which he eventually does find this unrequited love. It has nothing to do with social status or success or anything like that. And it is the great unifier. And, but it's also told by way of music. Like you said, it is the, the, the connecting piece. He's kind of a little nice boy. She's kind of a manic pixie dream girl, but they're both revealed to have deeper uh, layers to them that disrupt those tropes. uh, Definitely. Definitely. Justin. Yes. Let us get into game mode for this episode on Moulin Rouge. Okay. Okay. So this is going to be our second and closing episode of our musical March month. Yep. Um, And so I I definitely wanted to cover this movie because it's that special type of jukebox uh, musical that uh, I love to watch and listen to. Mm -hmm. And so the game title that I gave you um was jukebox jungle uh and i will explain the rules to you in a bit but let's show me show me show me what you came up with here okay let me let me preface by saying that is all you told me i was like joe what is the name of the game that's going to come with moulin rouge and you said i haven't come up with it yet like the the mechanics of it but it's going to be called i don't know something like jukebox jungle Mm -hmm. so i took that and i ran with it and like i said the inspiration came from the roxanne uh, tango, as well as the Smells Like Teen Spirit and Lady Marmalade mashup. So I wanted to create something that involved jukebox and jungle. And you'll uh-huh. get a touch of that. 
and it evolved and i texted this to you as soon as i wrapped it up today i was like joe this song is so damn sexy i am so prepared lay it on me here we go Justin, God damn it. <laughs> that so is obviously, so good. So the inspiration there that I got, um, obviously Jungle Boogie is the jungle. <laughs> and that's the that's the baseline there. And then I was stuck with, all right, Jukebox. What are some songs that have Jukebox in it? Ultimately landed on I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett. Mm. Uh, and it just kind of turned into like a Nine Inch Nails song, which is fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Okay. So we got to start releasing these covers on our Spotify account, yep. Yep. Uh, making money off of them. Mm-hmm. That'll be the plan going forward. People keep an eye on the gram. Cause we'll release all the information there. Yes. Okay. Um, let me explain to you the rules of jukebox jungle. <laughs> I will start off by saying there is no way to lose this game. It's going to be not necessarily point based. It's going to be more of like a build your own world style. Just get creative. Uh, game okay i love it okay okay so getting into character welcome to the jukebox jungle the game where you can craft your very own jukebox musical i will be your guide i will walk you through the beats of your story and you get to choose what pre-existing songs out there pretty famous songs should be sung to accompany each moment i love this I'll give you three song options each time that I have picked out, but you always have the option to think up your own song as well if you want to add it in. Okay. Do you understand the rules? Yes, I do. Okay. So I've come up with a very basic plot Mm -hmm. um, that we're going to try to build a jukebox uh, musical off of. Sure. Yeah. So starting out, song number one. You are a simple peasant boy. Can't even read who longs for a life of adventure outside of this crappy farm that you work on. <laughs> you sing a song about how much you want to get out and explore the world. Is that song, I'm Like a Bird by Nelly Furtado. I Want to Break Free by Queen. Or Breakaway by Kelly Clarkson. It is neither of those songs. <sighs> this is where my brain immediately went to. So I'm 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 a I'm a poor boy right mm-hmm. in the on a farm right uh-huh. is that what she said you're just you're, I'm just you're the lowest of the low you sleep at the pigs i want to get out right i want to get out and, and uh-huh. see what the world's got to offer what am i doing in the field i'm sitting in the field and what do i see what like i have my hand out because i'm wondering what's going on 
And then what floats down on my finger is a butterfly. Uh-huh. And he flies, flies away. And then I break into butterfly in the sky. Oh, my God. I can go twice as high. Cause I, but I also can't read. So I want to learn. To, <laughs> <laughs> I want to learn to read, too. So, like, take a look. It's in a book. Just, and then it's a rainbow. Our, our minds are so similar. I love that you chose the first, fourth option right off the bat. And I love that you went with uh, reading rainbow. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Really <laughs> setting uh, the scene. Let's get into song number two. The right. plot has developed a little bit. Mm-hmm. You break out of that podunk town and immediately run into the love of your life. But she doesn't notice you and she hates music. What song do you sing to woo her? Is it a gender-bent version of Love Story by Taylor Swift, Have a Little Faith in Me by John Hyatt, or You Make Loving Fun by Fleetwood Mac? Um, so again, I'm going to go with neither of those three. Oh my God, bring it on. Uh, so, <laughs> so I'm a little jaded that she fucking hates music. And... um. <laughs> I'm still kind of like immature because I'm only still from that podunk town. I'm not quite as polished as I need to be. So you like at the yet. at the end of this song, like I I change my ways. I become a little bit more grown up or whatever. But I take the brashy um, way and I sing "Puddle of Muds." She fucking hates me. <laughs> <laughs> Is it same tempo? Is it slowed down, sped up? Because you also have those options as well. Yeah, it's a little bit. It's a little bit sped up, um, mm-hmm. but at the end, it kind of like goes back to like halftime, and then it's like, oh, she fucking hates me. I love know? it. Uh, and it's then like it's like, oh, in at the end as well. Yeah, it's like it's my it's my fault. I need to change. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 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 Well, that doesn't vibe at all with where I'm going, but we'll we'll keep going forward anyway. Song number three, the love of your life has been won over by she fucking hates me. <laughs> Uh, and developed a taste for music as well. Love it. Um, but her family doesn't approve of you. It's the villain song moment. They sing her a group song to explain that you're no good and that she should leave you. Is that song a slow, menacing cover of Promiscuous by Nelly Furtado and Timbaland? Is it a slow, menacing cover of No Scrubs by TLC? Or... Is it a gender bent version of Girlfriend called Boyfriend by Avril Lavigne? So they're singing, I don't like your boyfriend. <laughs> hey, hey, no way. <laughs> um, I like option B for this one. You like no scrubs. By TLC? Yeah, they're and they're but they're like harassing me singing. They're like cornering her and like singing all around her, and she's like, no. Yeah, and they're like pointing at me, like, no scrubs. And I'm yeah. like, I'm just a scrub. Oh man. I love it. We're calling Broadway right after this. (laughs) All right. All right. Great. Proceeding forward. Song number four, your love's family convinces her with no scrubs that you're not good enough for her. And she dumps you. Oh, no. Bet you didn't see that happening. In response, you resolve to show them that you're worthy by learning to read. (laughs) What is the motivational montage song that you and your friends sing for months while you learn to read? Is it a broy version of ABC by the Jackson Five? A broy version of American Idiot by Green Day? Or Eye of the Tiger by Survivor? 
My brain immediately went to Jackson 5, so it's it's the bro <laughs> version of ABC. <laughs> it's very Grease Lightning. They're like yeah. dancing around you while it's like the, the, the months are passing by and you're just turning pages of books while sweating. <laughs> oh, amazing. Like, on page one, like over here is like the letter A and I try to draw and it's like a Z and like I can't get it and I st- <laughs> I rip the page and throw it, and then there's like a big pile of pages behind me. Oh my god! This is fantastic. Okay, okay. Skipping ahead, song five. This is the finale. Are you Mm. ready? Yes. Armed with your new reading skills, after singing ABC with your bros, you now have a choice of how to proceed. There's three potential endings to this musical. Do you try and win back the love of your life? Do you decide that she wasn't actually that great and go off to explore the world? Or do you go back to your farm because you realize maybe it wasn't that bad after all? Mm. Either way, the entire town and everyone you've met along the way will be joining in and singing backup. So your choices are three different medleys. Is it a mashup of Kiss Me by Sixpence None the the Richer? This Kiss by Faith Hill and Kiss from a Rose by Seal. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, a mashup of On Top of the World by Imagine Dragons, About Dan Time by Lizzo, and a solo version of Breaking Free from High School Musical. That's number two. (laughs) And then number three is a mashup of Home by Philip Phillips, Right Back Where We Started From by Maxine Nightingale, and This Land is Your Land by Woody Guthrie. It's option three. I'm going home, baby. <laughs> You're going back to the farm. I'm back to the farm. Back to where I started. <laughs> the last note in the musical is This Land is Your Land by Woody Guthrie, held by the entire crowd. Yes, and everyone is tears loving it. They're throwing uh, egots at us or whatever you throw it at it's people. It's very much a circular narrative. You pick up the hoe again, but you really learned a lot on your journey, and that's all that matters. Yep, I, I, I pick it back up and I go, <laughs> this old thing. And then I yes, go back to it. And then the lights just fade and the curtains. There were no points involved in Jukebox Musical. Jukebox Jungle, God, but you got an A+. plus. Damn right I did. Thank you for A, a plus for effort. Hell yeah. Thank you. Um, that, was, <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> Joe, you did the damn thing. I think the past couple episodes we've had have really shown just how different our musical tastes are. So it's been really hard to come up with these games. Yeah. Um, but I'm happy we're doing it. I'm excited also, but also like past excited because we'll have already done the episode, but maybe not yet. You're retroactively excited. Yes. For the um, uh, Little Shop of Horrors game that we're going to play. I, I can't wait. Um, yep. Final thoughts on 2001's Moulin Rouge. <sighs> It was a delight, and I cannot overstate enough how much I love that Wussy Events put this on, Wussy mm-hmm. Magazine in Atlanta put this on, because it really made it special. And it wasn't just we were watching it at home, you know, which would still would have been cool, still would have had a lot of the same conversation and stuff, but it made a unique memory, a unique um, piece in my mind that I'm going to remember forever, because that was so cool and so so much fun. I think if we had one episode where we had to dress up and go see a drag show before we saw the movie, it, it has to be this. It is this one, 100%. Uh, this was meant to be. Yep, it was. Uh, and I'm really glad I got to experience that with you. Yeah, that's what we do. That's what it's all That's what it's all about. That's why we do this podcast. Congratulations on our first banked episode. This is technically episode 13, I think. 13, yeah. Uh, uh, 14, actually. 
14. Oh, wow. 14. Yeah. Look at us. I know. Just just banking episodes like no big deal. Uh, if anything weird happens, we'll let you guys know before we post this episode, like in the next month. Yeah. But uh, this, this may get completely fucked in how we do this. <laughs> so, Justin, typically at the end of a miniseries, we kind of preview the next miniseries. So this is the end of our March miniseries. We've done Little Shop of Horrors. We've done um, Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what's coming up in April. All right. So in April, even though March is the time of the year when the Oscars take place, um, musical March was just too good of an alliteration to pass up. Yeah. So in April, we're going to do like Oscar buzz movies, big Oscar buzz movies that big Oscar sweetheart movies that either neither one of us had seen. Um, So first out the gate is going to be my movie. And Joe has never seen The Social Network, the story about Facebook. The biggest like film school movie of all time. And I'm so excited. That movie to me fucking rules. Uh, the soundtrack again, like rips. Uh, it's, Can I get a Trent Reznor? It's Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross joint. And bringing it back around to Nine Inch Nails. So um, yeah, that's what April's going to bring is Oscar buzz. Um, I'll tease out a couple more more themes if you want, Joe. In May, we're going to do Muppet Mayhem. I'm so excited for that, too. Buckle the fuck up. We're going to be talking Jim Henson's Muppets all across uh, these movies. I'm not going to tell you what movies yet, but we're doing that. And then in the in June and July, we're going to do like favorite movies, blockbuster, theater experience kind of thing. So like the stuff you really think is going to be a summer miniseries. We're going to get into big movies, big money, big budgets, big effects. It's going to be a summer to remember. Um, it's going to be a summer know, of love, ultimately. A summer of love and explosions and, and yeah. CGI. But yeah, uh, Joe, I had so much fun with this one. I love that we got to, you know, share a lot of, you know, commonalities with music and and just our history with musicals. And this was so much fun. Awesome, Justin. I will see you in April, which is next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, y'all. <laughs>